You pressed play on this podcast with the click of curiosity. It is another dimension, a dimension of mind, a dimension where nothing is sacred and everything is explainable. You're streaming into a land of both inside and outside of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the midside. Welcome to the midside where we only offer a refund in the case of your death. And if you if you're familiar with the uh, the history of the uh, show, that's extra extra. That's an extra little in joke for you there. I'm your host Justin Emlesneski, the hopeful romantic, and I retroactively and proactively denounce anything anyone has ever said and ever will say on this show. Notice how I rewrote that. I put anyone instead of we because I don't want to speak for the collective we. But also I put and instead of or. Anything anyone has ever said and ever will say on this show parse that all right there, there, there's a lot of content so i'm just going to bring in my co-host joining me this trip from dale's lawn identifying as a woman to forgo his white male gay privilege william green hello hello yeah it's been an exciting week here uh but uh we all know you tuned in for uh justin's rants but a very small percentage of you uh tune in just for the remy updates the puppy updates uh, so I took, uh, Remy and Colt to the ocean, to, uh, um, to the long beach. They have, a uh, a dog beach where you can let your dogs off leash and in the ocean in California. Do they have to wear, one of, do they have to one wear of masks? Two, one of two places. Ah, that's a good question right now. No outdoor masks are not required, uh, by dogs or humans. Uh, so I let the dogs run around and, uh, uh, you know, Remy was definitely overstimulated, but he's having a good time chasing around other dogs, other dogs chasing him. He chased a dog into the ocean. He was kind of scared of the waves, right? He chased the dog into the ocean, all of a sudden realized he was in the ocean and swimming, and he kind of just looked at me and swam back to me. So uh, so he had his first uh, swimming experience, which I'm very proud of. Uh, he didn't panic or anything. He just, like, doggy paddled on, in the wave and came back came back into the shore, and I was just like, okay, I guess, I guess we're getting wet today, because I, I didn't think he would get in the ocean. I thought today would just be, like, getting used to the waves and you know they you know they make funny sounds and they crash and things like that but now he uh ended up chasing a dog into the ocean and swimming so achievement unlocked yeah that's kind of cool that's kind of cool that he is that uh adventurous is would that be the right word for that i mean he's stupid yeah reckless. <laughs> yeah reckless i think a little more reckless than uh than, he's definitely not stupid he's uh too smart for his own good but yeah i think reckless is the thing yeah reckless was a better word than stupid yeah. Sorry if I offended any dog owners out there. Oh, no. Oh, no. I love that right. our crack legal team has uh, updated our, our disclaimer. Yeah, our crack legal team, a.k.a. me. I just thought uh, I just I was uncomfortable with the word we. That's all. I was uncomfortable with the word we uh, leading with that rhetorically for our show. So I just I just rewrote it a little bit. I, it was I just like something it. that I, like I, 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 I ruminated on. So, uh and yeah, when we're talking about wording and the way things are parsed, I think there's a lot to talk about this week. So why don't we start getting into it in Life on the Midside. Take 
As always, if you would like to support the show, you can do so through Patreon or Locals. Patreon is per episode. Locals is per month. We accept any and all support, including affirmations. You can find that at themidside.com slash Patreon or themidside.com slash Locals. So the first thing I wanted to talk to you about, William, is... It's. I know a while ago we said we were going to start talking about COVID, blah, blah, blah. But this isn't really COVID, although it sort of is. It's the whole, to me, rhetoric around the vaccinations. And what I mean by that is one of the things that we've hit over and over again since the pandemic started. And one of the things that uh, other people have picked up on, notably Zuby talks about it a lot, which is one of the reasons I really like him. I think he's really uh, tuned into reality on the pandemic issue is the propaganda around the virus, around how to respond to the virus, and specifically around vaccinations. And what I've seen is an intentional... uh, Crap, I can't remember the word. What's it called when you intentionally confuse two things, William? Uh, I don't know. I'd say it's a blurring blurring of two things, right? Yeah, it's a blurring of the line, but that's not the the word. But uh, if if, if the phrase comes to me, I'll, I'll say it. But yeah, a blurring of the word of the line between the word uh, between the phrases anti-vaxxer and unvaccinated or unvaccinated anti-vaxxer. So there are people out there who want to and I would say it's the mainstream position or I would say it's the power structures position that want to portray people who aren't vaccinated or who don't want to get vaccinated as the same thing as anti-vaxxers. And the reason I want to point this out this week is I saw this graphic on Twitter. Somebody retweeted it. It was very interesting to me. It's it's from YouGov. It was from a survey done by The Economist slash YouGov on, not YouGov, not YouGlove, on July 10th slash 13th, so the 10th through the 13th of July. And the three questions are, uh, or it's three different scenarios based on one question. In your opinion, how likely is it that the following scenarios are true? And here are the three uh, the three scenarios. And you can answer these scenarios with either definitely slash probably true, not sure, or definitely slash probably false. So the first one is, the threat of the coronavirus was exaggerated for political reasons. The second one is, vaccines have been shown to cause autism. And the third one is, the U.S. government is using the COVID-19 vaccine to microchip the population. This is really interesting to me, William, because... To me, the first scenario, the first scenario, the threat of the coronavirus was exaggerated for political reasons, is a legitimate concern and a legitimate position to take. Whereas the other two, has one of them has been scientifically disproven. Vaccines have been shown to cause autism. That's been scientifically disproven. And the last one is like just it's it's an actual conspiracy theory. The U.S. government is using the COVID-19 vaccine to microchip the population. And the interesting thing here, William, is on all three of them, those who will not be vaccinated was a significant portion or at least 50 percent. So those who will not be vaccinated, 85 percent for the first one. And then for the second two, it's about 50 percent. And to me, this is linking the unvaccinated position with the anti-vaxxer position in order to make being 
unvaccinated or not wanting to get vaccinated seem illegitimate. I mean, even look at the way this is phrased. Those who will not be vaccinated. William, I don't know the future. How can we say that everybody who's vaccinated will not be vaccinated going into the future? What if conditions change and people assess differently so they want to get vaccinated, whereas now the conditions aren't such that they want to get vaccinated? And it's the same thing with the whole anti-vaxxer thing. Why is it a person should throw out every vaccine? Shouldn't a person assess every individual vaccine for themselves or their children? Why is it you're either for all vaccines or anti all vaccines? Yeah, I think I think this is let's wind the clock back. Uh, it wasn't that I, I know it's the, the before time, the before COVID time. Who were the people <laughs> that were against vaccines? It were it was this uh, vaccines caused autism people, right? Right. Like it, it, and they were predominantly on the left. They were, uh, you know. A lot of Jenny McCarthy. Yeah, yeah. It, it was very, it was very, you know, uh, came out of the sort of woo-woo division of uh, of uh, of uh, uh, pseudoscience, right? Um, and well, and, so, and anti big pharma, anti big pharma, yeah, anti big pharma, anti anti corporation, um, and and the microchipping would have been. Uh, I, I I bet if you'd asked that same crowd about the microchipping, they would have said the same thing. It just you just would have had to replace government with, you know, corporations, right? Um, right. So what are we measuring here, right? Like, uh, you're you're measuring, uh, either you're measuring how much people are willing to believe in conspiracy theories, which is a thing we know a lot about right like people have studied this like it's very um it's a um there's always going to be a part of the population that quote unquote believe in conspiracy theories right um but the but the other thing is i think the framing here that you're talking about this is done all of the time if we had done this back then with the jenny mccarthy era anti-vaxxers we would have we would have determined well these people are you know very woke they're very left they're very all this other stuff and so you start to uh, imply, do do implications about the kind of people that uh, believe in this conspiracy, right? And then you can start to deride them, right? This is just the same thing. This is the same thing that they were talking about uh, back then, and now we're just applying it to the folks who won't conform. Um, the other question I have is, what's the sample size here, right? We're looking at U.S. adults, but if the sample size of those who will not be vaccinated is very small, then again, you get you run into a problem of what are you actually measuring here? If you're just finding people that don't conform, the, the issue is a lot of these distributions are going to be Pareto distributions. So you might have a huge diversity of opinion about a lot of different things. In other words, these people might be individuals. And so looking at a trend and saying, well, geez, 51% of those who will not be vaccinated uh, believe that, uh, you know, that the government is microchipping him and it's actually 16 people. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes. But that's that's part of the whole issue here, William. I agree with you completely. That's an excellent statistical point, right, as, as far as how you gather this data. But the fact that they're portraying it this way it is the greater concern. And then I have to ask... Why are they portraying it in this way? Why is there such a need 
for everyone to be vaccinated. Because when we look at the right, those who will not be vaccinated for the it says the threat of coronavirus was exaggerated for political reasons. And 85 percent of those who will not be vaccinated. Says definitely such probably true. Okay, that makes sense, that correlation there. But as you're saying, what if the majority of those 85 are just people who assess every situation about whether they want to get the vaccine or not? Why is it that we're trying to link and make people who won't get vaccinated seem crazy, seem like conspiracy theorists? Because there was even a story recently that that broke that I saw this morning a 34-year-old who tweeted about not getting the vaccine caught COVID recently and died. And in they're saying in Los Angeles County, the majority of people who are catching COVID are people who didn't take the vaccine, who aren't vaccinated. So why then is there such a concern of making them seem like conspiracy theorists as if they're a threat to everyone? Doesn't that the what it what isn't that what it has to be yeah. rooted in this yeah. fear that if they don't get vaccinated, it could hurt me even though I'm vaccinated? Yeah. And let's just look at it also from a straight up persuasion technique. If you want to persuade someone to act of their own volition and make up their own mind, why construct all these narratives saying if you don't swallow what we're saying whole? You're stupid. That's propaganda. And people, and we've had propaganda throughout the entire pandemic. We haven't been, we haven't been told a straight answer. We've been told answers that we must filter through the, well, you know, they're just saying that because. And so, well, and why are people acting surprised that there's a bunch of people who are skeptical and believing in conspiracy theories when they've been uh, attacking the very, uh, uh, judgment, the very, the very, uh, means by which people would make this as a rational decision the entire time that we've been dealing with COVID. And now you got to the point I was going to get to, William. That's the, the the insidious nature of this. Oh, well, if you disagree with this, you're stupid. Well, if you're any smart, you go, well, if someone calls me stupid for disagreeing, I'm going to be skeptical of their position. So they've got you in a double blind, a double bind. The double bind is, well, if I disagree, I'm stupid. But if I agree with you, I'm stupid. And now we understand, William, what they do all the time. This is a uh, forceful. I want to use the word force here. This is psychological force, right? You know, something um, libertarians love to talk about is the the non-aggression principle. And something objectivists talk about is you can't initiate force. But they're always talking about physical force. The mode of persuasion that exists in our culture, William, is psychological force. This is shame-based. This is something that has existed throughout human history, right? We've seen it in, in, you know, for instance, as someone who comes from a Catholic background, Catholicism, right? Religion uses shame in this way. But this is making you feel shameful. They're trying to persuade you, not by saying, here's the benefits of getting the vaccine. They're trying to persuade you by saying, oh, you're stupid. But really, they're not trying to tell you you're stupid. They're trying to tell the people who are vaccinated you're stupid, so they'll be mean to you. Do you get what I'm saying, William? Yeah, they're trying to other 
people who haven't yet made up their minds or haven't decided to take the vaccine yet. Or have legitimately decided to not take the vaccine. Any of those three. So you've been othered now. And that is the main mode of persuasion in our culture. And I would argue that is psychological force because they're not trying to do it based upon a legitimate argument of saying here are the benefits and here are the uh, the harms of doing this. They're not having a rational discussion with you. They're trying to use your emotions against you or to say it more benevolently, they're trying to use your legitimate human need for belonging and psychological visibility against you. And to me, that is psychological force. And we don't talk about that in our culture. We don't talk about that as humans. We talk about psychological force being initiated and being wrong. But I mean, we talk about physical, sorry, physical force being initiated and that being wrong. But we don't talk about psychological. And I think this is insidious. And that's why this graphic upset me. Because this is an example of psychological force. Using your own need to belong, need for legitimate human need to belong, right? This is something Hollywood loves talking about. This is something we need other people. Yeah, we do. That doesn't mean we should be second-handed, but we need other people. You can't live a solitary life. And they use that against us in the way of making it second-handed. We need other people, so we're going to make everybody second-handed, so you have to be second-handed and fall in line, or you have to become depressed and have anxiety because you're on your own. Yeah, it's a manipulation towards conformity. I think we've been, you know, we've seen this for a while. We've seen this in... Uh, in sort of the woke movement, right? This uh, huge desire for conformity and puritanical tests and things like that. But I think this might be the first time we've consistently seen it in uh, something so so insidious and so powerful in the government, right? In the name of uh, in the name of coronavirus, we're letting the politicians and the media get away with something on a much larger scale than they have in the past. They try well, to do this I with th- environmentalism, right? They try yes. to. Yes. Well, uh, not just environmentalism. I think there was an old Penn and Teller show from 2000, must have been early 2000s, right? Where Bullshit. Yeah. Uh, uh, where they set up all the different colored garbage cans. And they just kept adding different colors and different ridiculous like requirements. And people did yes. it. People did it, right? That conformity yes. is so strong. And, and William, it's 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 not just environmentalism. I mean, it's it's gay rights, it's transgender rights, it's it's racism, right? That's where this whole idea right, of right. pushing systemic racism comes from. There is a group socially and somewhat politically. You know, it's not too mainstream politically yet, right? Right? Joe Biden portrays himself as more of a moderate, and I believe Joe Biden is more of a moderate, right? When you know we you talked about his, his Joe Biden is coherent. Well. Correct. He's not coherent either. But I'm talking about like last week he talked about, remember we talked about his his comments about communism in Cuba and everything. So I believe, you know, he's not with critical race theory and things. But when we talk about critical race theory, it's the same thing. It's the attempt to use shame and the need to belong against you in the same way. You know, oh, you don't, I mean, South Park made fun of this, right? Uh, Back in the day where they did the episode about Harbucks and Harbucks came into town and they were replacing Tweak's dad's local coffee shop. And they were trying to use the government to get rid of the corporation because it's bad for local business. And in the ad, they were like, you'll vote for this or you hate children. 
you don't hate children, do you? Right, what right. makes this time different, William, is just that the media, the government, these social interest groups, and corporations are all aligned because the corporations get to sell the vaccine and they get to have people afraid of this virus. And you see how they've already floated the idea of, oh, well, this could be, you could need a yearly booster. And oh, when we talk about and then already, the, India, the India variant. Right. What is it? What is it? Which uh, they've moved on from the Delta Force variant. There's a new uh, new variant. Um, we I already think hit I, Gamma. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I'm. I want to dig into this whole othering thing because I think that that's something I've been thinking about this week. There's, you know, usually that's a concept that's kind of like thrown around, kind of a like gaslighting that's uh, overused in the and uh, just a becomes like an insult or a, uh, you know, not really an argument. In this case, though, I, I think it really applies because you can see what happens, right? You say, you say this person, or 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 hey, look at these people. They won't get vaccinated, therefore they believe in the flat Earth. They're, uh, you know, they think aliens abduct people. They, uh, so there's all those things, right? So so they are stupid. Well, I, I got I, I got but a then really they good also, one. Yeah, th- yeah but I then got they a really also, good one. I got go a really ahead. good one, William. Here's an example. Here's a perfect example of what you're talking about. So there was a story on Pat's pulpit, Patriots website, about how the assistant offensive line coach, or the co-offensive line coach for the Patriots, who's been with the team for four years, resigned. He's like 36 because he doesn't want to get the vaccine. And then somebody replied. This is a comment somebody replied with. I remember when the fight against drunk driving got really serious about 40 years ago. There are people making the same arguments against drunk driving laws that people are making against the vaccine. 50,000 deaths out of 320 million. That's 0.18%. Why are they taking my rights away for 0.18%? Or they just lied and said no one ever died from drunk driving. Back then, people who were in favor of drunk driving were considered maniacs. Now we've got a whole political party that is pro-virus. Let Popovich go. Popovich is the name of the coach. I really don't want a pro-disease person on the team, even if he is a good coach. So this person, William, this coach, Popovich, made a decision for his own health and his own family. And then this person has to reply othering him. Can't just let him go and say, you made your decision. Go live your life. He has to make a comment othering him, which the only reason to make that comment is to shame other people who might think the same way. This is a perfect example of what you're describing, William. Yeah, I, 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 it makes a lot of sense. I, I think it's also this moralizing uh, that comes with tribalism as well, right? It's it's that the yes. person is bad as well. That is an important aspect yes. of this uh, of the purpose of this otherism, because you can't you people want when we talk about this sense of belonging. It takes a lot to break those bonds, right, of belonging, and so to to say, hey, this person doesn't conform, therefore they're part of the evil group, makes it so that you can do the next step of othering, which is shunning. And that's what we're talking about here. The goal here is to shun folks who choose not to take the vaccine, which right. I think is a terrible precedent, right? You're you're lumping a bunch of people together. Uh you're looking at the wrong you're, you're looking at the wrong level of abstraction. We've talked about before when you talk about uh, relationships and and you know how close you can be with certain people whether it's friends or um uh you know romantic partners one of the things you 
you have to deal with is you, you, you have to come to understand is that you can only deal with people rationally, right? And if you have someone who is very irrational, you can't bring them very close. They're dangerous to you and they're, and they're dangerous to themselves. Right. And, uh, and, and so if, if you talk about like, Hey, if someone, if someone truly believes all the things that this, that is listed here, right. Then maybe they're not going to be my best friend or my boyfriend. Right. Uh, because that irrationality that they're expressing there probably expresses it in other ways, right? People are compartmented, but they can't be that compartmented. You know, could I date someone who uh, believes uh, the earth is flat? Uh, probably not. If they truly believe it, and not because of the belief they hold, but because of the lack of rationality that got them there. Does that make sense? So you're looking... Well, it makes what, it, I, what I'm trying to say is, it's okay to say... I, I don't want people to say we're not saying uh, uh, that we're saying not to judge people. We're saying judge them individually and look at the root. If you're going to this whole group way of saying we're going to other them and then call them immoral and unclean and unwashed and push them away, outcast them, that that's a very archaic, like it's a very uh, uh, evil sort of process. Well, it, what it's doing is it's offloading the judging process, William. I mean, you make a good point about you need to judge individually because it's offloading the judging process. So, you know, look at the number of people who aren't vaccinated, right? So, you know, between 50 and 60 people are vaccinated in each state, I think. I think that's the number. How they get those numbers, I don't know. Percent. Percent. Percent, right. Not 50 people uh, total. (laughs) There's 50 people in the state of California who are vaccinated, right? 50 to 60 percent. Sorry, I thought that was obvious. Yeah. So... You're going to tell me of those 40% or 50% that aren't vaccinated, every single individual has made the same decision for the same reason with the same thought processes, and you are simply going to dismiss them. And then you're going to do even worse. Rather than talk to each person and decide, oh, I need to learn why that person's not vaccinated, you are then going to link that with a whole bunch of other judgments about that person's entire life. Now, you're talking to me, right? Anyone who listens to the show knows I, I love psychologizing and I love making these predictions. And I think I'm pretty good at it, which is why I can get away with it. You're also taking non-essential things and making them essential. So your example of the flat earth thing, William. I could excuse the flat earth thing in a friend, maybe in a romantic partner, because to me, that's a non-essential. Now, do they make it? Does the person make it his or her entire life? Then it becomes a problem. So you have to judge not only why every person holds the position that person holds, but how much of an issue or let's say how dominant it is in that person's belief system, philosophy or psychology. You know, somebody could say, I think the earth might be flat, but it's not something they think about a lot. Yeah. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's it's the same thing with belief in God, right? I'm an atheist. Christine, my fiance, believes in God, but it is not a big part of her everyday life. So it's not something that's an issue that is between us. It's not an issue between us because we don't discuss it. It's not something that affects us and affects the way we think on a daily basis. And that's it. Rather than if I had said, I'm just not going to date anyone who believes in God, I would have missed the opportunity to have this relationship. Yeah. In other words, you don't require complete conformity, unlike what 
we're seeing right now in society where this desire for uniform conformity is uh is quite interesting well it's it's necessary because the you need complete conformity if you're going to live a life that's anti-reality because reality is complex Reality is complex. Responding to reality is contextual. So every individual is necessarily going to respond to reality differently, right? There's going to be some things that are the same because there are some things that are the same between all of us, but there are some things that are very different between all of us. So we're necessarily going to survive, uh, survive by being different. But if you are going to be anti-reality and you're going to evade reality the only way to do that is to get a bunch of people who evade reality the same way you are because there's safety in numbers because that mitigates the risk the greatest way to mitigate risk in life is to spread that risk out yeah not sure not sure what else to say but that that makes a lot of sense to me well it, it, it feeds into the next thing i wanted to talk about william uh, there was a study that came out this week. Now, this study was completed in what? Sweden, I believe. Sweden, Norway. Let me let me scroll through here. Oh, it's not in this. Yeah, it was Sweden. So take that for what it's worth. But there was a, a study that came out that said men's spending habits result in more carbon emission than women's. That's Way what to this step study on it, said. Justin. <laughs> what did I step on? We've got to follow the science. You've got to follow the science. Men, men use more energy than women. Is that what they're saying? Essentially, right? So uh, the way that this is a quote from the study author, the way this they spend is more is sorry. The one they blah, 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 the way they spend is very stereotypical. Women spend more money on home decoration, health and clothes, and men spend more money on fuel for cars, eating out, alcohol and tobacco. Wait now this is a this is a this is a perfect example, William, of what we were just talking about with the othering, because using all the logic that's been done before about what things cause carbon emissions and carbon footprints, you could make an argument that either of those is more right. Home decoration, health, and clothes. You could argue that that is more damaging than fuel for cars, eating out alcohol and tobacco. And also, in my experience, women like to eat out more than men, but that's a whole different discussion. Wait, is the fact that men pay when, uh, you know, that men pay when you go out, like more typically, right? Like if you're in a family, my my dad usually paid, right? Right. Like not that it wasn't like my dad was paying and like, right. Who's driving the, whose car do they take to dinner? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It wasn't the same thing like with the gas, right? Like who, who gets, who is driving to work versus... Who is at home? Right. Well, that's the whole human life. That's the whole human life angle, right? Like, okay, so we're spending more fuel on cars, but what if we're all locked down and we stay home? Our life falls apart, right? That's that whole angle. Well, no, I I was getting, I was getting between the like, you know, if you think about typically, like, there's plenty in today's day. There are a lot more two income families, but, but you know, you know, just thinking back to my family growing up as one income family, my dad was the one working. Of course, he's the one putting gas in the car. Even if, even my mom who drove a lot. My dad would end up putting gas in the car, right? Yes. Yes. I know. I know. And that, that that's what I'm saying, that that goes towards the whole right life affirming. You're building a life. If you're, you're going out and you're driving around and you're working, right, that's how you build life. That's how you're productive. So you take that away and, yeah, maybe it, hurt, it helps the environment more, but it hurts human life. But the thing that's what's insidious about this, William, 
is it's really all the study is and granted i haven't read the exact study but from the way it's characterized in the news stories are read about it all it is is playing with definitions to other men and make it seem like men are the problem and women are the victims of environmentalism oh Where, boy how, how much do you think makeup hurts the environment the amount of money that's spent <laughs> on makeup how much do you that think that hurts the environment I don't know. Going to the I hairdresser, did. all those chemicals. <laughs> how much does that hurt the environment? Oh, man. Well, and also, like, to flip it on its head, uh, you know, we talked about, I think Alex uh, Epstein's talked about it before, uh, how much cheap, plentiful energy uh, frees women, you know, in countries uh, in countries that don't have cheap, reliable, and plentiful energy women end up doing some pretty back-breaking work, like, for example, carrying water all day. So that, yeah. you know, things like that, right? Like well, think about before that, the refrigerator, right? How yeah, much they had to yeah. cook every day. Or the washing machine and things like that, right? They're, right. They're, well, that, that's my favorite thing that people don't realize, right? The, the reason they call it washboard abs is they used to go down to the river with a washboard and wash clothes in a bucket every day. That's before electricity, yeah. before... Uh, industrialization with washing machines and dryers. You know, you'd wash them on the washboard, and then you'd hang them on the clothing line, on the clothesline, right? People don't realize these things. Again, this is the whole human life, ver- quality of life versus the environment, which is more important. Well, environment is definitely more important than human life. As you know, we always we always talk about the folks who refuse to see humans as part of the environment. Right. Or that well, and the also, environment only serves a purpose when we talk about the human environment. Right. Well, and, and fundamental to that is when people define the environment, they want to protect the environment as it is right now, which if you were saying we want to protect it as it is right now, because this is optimal for human life, you would have an argument there. But even if humans die out, the environment will then change and it will still be the environment. Why, why does the environment have to be as it is now? Why is the environment as it is now worth protecting? What is it about that? Qua that. Yeah, I worked the word qua and hit that on your bingo card. Uh, why is that a value worth protecting when the environment exists in whatever version it exists in dependent upon what species live on the planet and what's going on on the planet. You understand mm-hmm. what I'm saying, William? Yeah. Yeah. It just talk about fall of the science. Okay. Well, the last thing I want to talk about is again, related to all of this because it deals with the othering and it deals with race. So this story came ac- across my phone today and this story, William, this is an interesting story. This is an interesting story. I, so, I, I've, I've already looked at it, and I've got some ideas for your wedding photo shoot. Oh, God. I, I can't wait to hear those based upon where this is. But we already <laughs> did our wedding photo shoot. Thing. Well, not oh, our wedding. Okay. We did our engagement photo shoot, yeah, yeah. which is likely what this. So this is a couple's engagement wait, uh, uh, wedding shoot. Uh, this article I found is from blackenterprise.com. I'm sure you can find a lot of articles Uh I, I William, can I just say I hate the user interface design for this website? Like when yeah, you scroll down okay. and you can't see, it might be a hate crime, but I article. think it's okay for you to say it. Yeah, <laughs> it's 
Maybe it's because of, uh, I'm not going to say it, but no, maybe it's because of who I am that they won't let me use the website. I don't know. Anyway, when you can't see 75% of the article when you're scrolling down to get the information, it's poor website design. Anyway, uh, the title of this is The Internet Goes Off Over Interracial Couple Slavery-Themed Pre-Wedding Photo Shoot. So this photo shoot is a couple where the man is black and the woman is white. And they made an Instagram post where the the caption says, 1842, days passed and everything changed. Our love got stronger and stronger. He was no longer a slave. He was part of the family. Now, in this photo shoot, there's a number of pictures. They're dressed in the garb of 1842. Uh, and they are dressed in a number of different costumes. And these pictures start with them in the field and... He's in in chains and eventually the chains break and come off. And then he is dressed in sort of like a a wedding attire. He's got a top hat on and and a long coat and she's in more of a dress. Looks like she's in that mostly the whole time. Now, here's the thing. There's there's a number of things about this photo shoot, William. First of all, people are mad about this because they're saying it's racist to, to portray this sort of relationship. My first thing, William, before we even get into the artistic side of this. I understand that you're a white woman and a black male. So that has certain racial undertones to it. I get that. But why do you need to make your wedding photo shoot about this issue, about the issue of race? I understand that you're saying, well, we're speaking out against racism here. I get that. I get what they're going for. Why do they feel obligated, though, to make their individual relationship and their individual moment in their life about this collective issue? That, to me, is the biggest issue here. Yeah, I mean, without straying into the maybe this is their kink direction, um... Yeah, I don't think we have enough evidence to to make that yeah. assertion. Yeah, without straying into that that direction, did they was this if this was made to be like in some sort of activist way? That I don't know. That just seems. I I guess I my first impression when I was looking at these photos was that's really weird, but good for them. That you know that was sort of my thing, right? Like if this is what how they choose to, you know, make a metaphor about their love, then sure, whatever. I've seen more ridiculous things as wedding photos, right? Uh, right. So why'd you say why'd you say good for them? Why is it good? Be, because this is a celebration of their relationship, and right. I'm not in their relationship. Right. Exactly. So if that's this a, is that's... if this is an expression that means something to them, then I'm not going to sit here and. You know, I'm not going to sit here and make judgments on them necessarily because I don't I don't know. Right. I might laugh at it. Because it wouldn't make sense to me, it would make sense to someone I would be in a relationship with. Right. I mean, and, people and, have and, people have fucking Star Trek weddings, right? Right. Well, and you and you've touched on when well, you've touched on the artistry side of this. There is a picture of her taking his chains off. So there's clearly two things going on here. It's clearly what you said, something about 
their relationship and the way they want to express it. But there's clearly also a point they're trying to make here. They're, they're trying to make a point about slavery and, and the underpinnings of race. My biggest thing is two things. One, I, I don't think it, I, I think it's a little bit different than having a Star Trek themed wedding because you're using your wedding to make a statement. I, I, I just don't think that that's, that's performative. I, it is performative. I don't think it's appropriate because it is performative. It's second-handed. It's making your wedding about other people rather than yourselves. And second of all, the people who are responding to this are claiming that this is completely racist when they're completely missing the point. I agree that, as I said, that this is inappropriate. It, it, it's inappropriate because it's depersonalizing your own wedding, but it's definitely not racist. Do you think this is racist, William? I, I'm trying to see what they're saying. Are they trying to claim it's some sort of white savior thing? I, I don't know. I, I, I don't see it as racist. I mean, it's about race and it has a racist, uh, uh, you know, it's about things in a racist time, but that would sort of be like saying gone with the wind is racist, which I'm sure they would say. Right. Well, right, exactly, because they're saying because it's associated with slavery and he's in chains, it's racist. It's well, hey, demeaning they, to yeah, him. Yeah, you know, folks aren't supposed to have weddings in uh, southern uh, plantation homes anymore, right? Because that's racist. So in that right. in that sense, that, in that sense of what they mean by racist, then sure, it fits their quote-unquote definition. But no, I don't see how this is demeaning an individual because of their skin tone. I don't right. see how that's I, – I don't know how you get there from here. Right, and and it's actually quite the opposite where she's trying to show her love for him in spite of his – or despite. I don't want to say You know, that's, that's interesting. That, that, that's interesting, Justin. That, that rattled something in my brain. Good. What is – when we talk about uh, things that are you know transphobic or homophobic or racist, we're typically talking about you know actions people take or – um, beliefs that they hold and then act upon that treat those individuals differently, often negatively, uh, just based on those characteristics that don't matter to the decision at hand, right? Like that's sort of like a rough way of how we would talk about those things. I think in this case, though, we're seeing that the definition is, does it offend people? Well, only particular people, right? People typically on Twitter in these groups, then it is ist or phobic. Right. Well, that's where the collectivism comes in because it's the idea that if any member of that group is offended and then it is is how collectivism leads. Yeah. Right. Which is exactly what you just said. It's, it's how collectivism leads to narcissism and leads to projection, right? Oh, well I'm offended by this. So of course somebody else who has the same characteristics as me is going to be offended by this. Or, oh, I have trauma regarding this. So, of course, anyone who is in the same group as me shares my characteristics is going to have trauma over this. So I'm sure there's people out there based upon uh, how they've been raised or what they've learned or I'm not going to, you know, I can't speculate and explain the roots of it. But I'm sure there are people out there who when they see slavery, they get triggered or they experience the after effects of trauma because of how hurtful they find it to be. 
for whatever reason. So then they see this and they say, oh, well, that's how you're treating this black person, this black man who you're going to get married to. So therefore, it's offensive and racist. And also, you know, somebody called it uh, one of the tweets called it, quote unquote, coonery, because they're saying he's acting in that way. He's acting akin to that type of person because he is going along with this and allowing himself to be put on display. So there, I think there is elements of the white savior thing as well. But again, that's projecting your own yeah. relationship with your own group and another group onto the relationship between these two people. But again, William, that goes back to me. Why even do this as your photo shoot? Aren't you situating yourself in those people's conversation to begin with when you have this photo shoot? You're accepting their premises. Yeah. yeah. You're accepting their premises and you're making your relationship about not your relationship. You're telling me the most important thing in their relationship is their race. That's their most important thing in their relationship to have a, pic, uh, a photo shoot about that. Yeah, I, I can see that. I, I, I can see that. I would say, again, trying to be as charitable as possible. Maybe it's about uh, something about freedom and release from bondage through the relationship, right? Releasing or being a a free man because you're now in a relationship. Do you know what I'm saying? I'm stretching here. I'm trying to be charitable, right? Like maybe that is the interpretation that they were – uh, going for uh, well i'm not even saying that that's what they were going for that could be a more charitable interpretation that doesn't say oh we're making a social statement either way i i don't think you know like you were saying this is not great art this is not an artistic right. expression a good artistic express objective objectively good artistic expression of someone's relationship right so Either way, even if they were going for the racial statement, it's not a particularly good statement. Although if they were going for that, the people who are interpreting it are interpreting it wrong. If they are going for what you're saying as the abstract theme, right, the being a free man through a relationship, you know, the the love actually freed him. Well, this isn't the best way to portray it, especially considering the ethnicities, the races of the people in the relationship. Right. So it's bad art. It's, it's focused on other people, and the people who are interpreting it aren't even interpreting it correctly, and they're coming from a destructive collectivist standpoint. This, is the def- this whole thing is the definition of farce, because the final element I want to say about this, William, and this is a big thing I've been focusing on recently, I am tired of people seeing things on the internet that have happened for decades But because they see it on the internet, they think it's something new and it's some sort of new controversy or it's some sort of new uh, event that people need to get upset about. So, you you know, you see a a, a hurricane coming and there's some flash flooding and they go, oh, well, it's environmentalism because they can actually see what's going on in Florida. Or, you know, right now when we were at the beach a couple weeks ago, the seaweed had all been pushed in by the hurricane that went up the coast, right? The category one. And so now, because it's more reported, people are like, oh my God, it's a big deal. But this happens with everything. Same thing with this photo shoot. This photo shoot would have happened years ago, potentially, and it never would have been on the internet because there would have been no Instagram, no Facebook, no way of showing these things publicly, and the the world would have just went on. But now every little thing gets posted online, every little uh, incident of somebody actually being racist, 
somebody being misogynistic, somebody being a, a misandric, if that's how you say it, somebody, you know, acting anti-man, right? Somebody acting anti-gay, anti-trans, and we magnify it. We magnify these things because we can see them, whereas before we didn't. We've gone, and I've said this before, we've gone too global. We've gone too global. Uh, okay. I'll buy it. Uh, I'm skeptical. I think, I think what it is, is we haven't properly, um, we matured around these ideas of individualism and collectivism. And so we, we've been our, our tribal, uh, nature, our, our sense of belonging. Folks have replaced that with these sort of Twitter mobs and, and Instagram mobs and groupthink. That that's a hundred percent true. You used to get that through religion, right? Right. And no, now you I get agree. It this, I agree with what you're saying. What I'm adding to that, William, is the idea that we have so much information that used to be filtered for us by reality, by geography, by the limits of communication technology. Okay. It used to be geographically, if I was in Florida, I had no idea what the fuck was going on in Seattle on a daily basis. If I was in California, I had no idea what was going on in Alabama on a daily basis. Right? That's the way it used to be. But now, we have so much information that we also have not matured and evolved enough to know how to filter it properly to give things that have the proper... Let's see. No. Things that have an actual or a large amount of impact, the proper amount of attention. We give things that have minimal impact a large amount of attention, and certainly it's exacerbated by what you said about we also haven't matured enough past this individualistic versus collectivistic outlook. Okay, well, I'll, I'll build on that a little bit. Folks who get wrapped up in this other than just to witness it, like, uh, you know, and laugh at it or just pass it by, Right, because let's They're be clear, we're going to forget about this when we stop yeah. <laughs> talking about it, right? We're just laughing at it. They're doing it They're doing it out of this need to virtue signal. That's true. It's, it's, it's part of their cycle of belonging where they seek out uh, content that they can be offended at for the various intersectional and, uh, uh, you, know, uh, uh, you know, there's whole schools to teach this critical race theory, right? And then they can just have all this wankery about talking about it and and virtue signaling to each other about how, you know, how virtuous they are for and how evil the these folks are for doing this thing. Right. I think. Uh, we, we always talk about this is very comparable to religion. And when we say that, we're not talking about necessarily that it is a religion, although you could make that argument, I think, pretty strongly. It's that it has these elements that we know are ancient and in our psychology, and it's leveraging those. And I think that's where the the interesting part of, you know, this story comes in is it is a great example of that where you have all these people talking about it and it has no bearing on them, their lives, society, quote unquote, government policy. Like it has nothing to do with anything. Right. And I, th- I think what you're saying is a great place to end this segment because I think it applies directly to what we're going to be talking about in the art section when we talk about 
Zack Snyder a little bit and when we talk about the movie Old and, and M. Night Shyamalan a little bit. So let's head into that now in The Hopeful Romantic with JML. Put me into syndication, broadcast to a network station of people viewing their favorite episodes. I can't find a new pitch to throw the studio. If you'd like to continue this conversation with us during the week or start any conversation, you can do so by joining our Discord. All you have to do is click on any episode link, and in the episode link, there is a link to join the Discord. So click on the ins- uh, the episode at themidside.com or themidside.com slash podcast. Click on the episode link and then join in the Discord. And actually, some of the stuff we're about to talk about in a second came up in uh, the discord this week so we appreciate you midsiders who are in there in the discord sharing what you are thinking about and caring about so before i head into my review and i'm going to review the movie old what i wanted to touch base with you uh, really quickly about william is some huge Zack snyder news that came out which i think is really cool but then also sort of what it revealed ultimately about the fan base and i think it's directly related to what you were just talking about so Zack Snyder's Stone Quarry Productions, and this was released by Hollywood Reporter, signed a first look deal with Netflix. Now, what this means is anything he wants to pitch, he now is legally obligated, and I would even say morally, right, because he signed the contract, he is legally and morally obligated to pitch it to Netflix first. And if they pass on it, he can then go to any other production company. But Netflix gets first look at anything he wants to make, anything Stone Quarry wants to make. So that doesn't even mean stuff he's going to direct, right? He could, if he you know, does anything with any other director or any other writer or any other producer and he wants to do it under his flag, you know, the Snyders want to do it under the Stone Quarry flag, Netflix gets first look at it. This also came with the announcement of Army of the Dead 2 is going to happen and Zack Snyder is going to direct it. So there is going to be more in the Army of the Dead universe which is interesting. Maybe it'll help us figure out the theme of Army of the Dead a little bit more because my biggest knock on that movie was how muddy the theme was. Uh, So the big kind of things that come out of this are, first of all, William, uh, there's going to be questions about theatrical releases, right? Because the only Zack Snyder movie I haven't seen in theaters, actually, I lied. I haven't seen the, The Legends of the Guardians, the Owl movie. I haven't seen that in theaters. So the only two I haven't seen in theaters are Zack Snyder's Justice League and the the Owl movie. Now going forward, might not be able to see other movies in theaters. We'll see what happens with that. But the big thing here is this kind of is the nail in the coffin for Restore the Snyderverse. If Snyder has this deal, then he's going to be focusing on new projects, new franchises. And I think I think that's a good thing. What do you think, William? Yeah, I think it's great. I want to see new new creative stories told by Zack Snyder. I think that would be awesome. Yeah, I'm ready to move on from DC here. And that's the that's the crazy thing about this to me. Is it kind of showed something if you follow me on Twitter, you know, it's something I've been sort of hinting at and talking about for a while. I don't think a lot of Zack Snyder fans are Zack Snyder fans. And what I mean by that is I think they're Zack Snyder DC fans, because as you're saying, William, I think having Zack Snyder as the DC director 
gives them a sense of superiority over Marvel because there's this whole collectivist DC versus Marvel thing or even over other franchises. Oh, well, we're the best franchise because we have Zack Snyder now. And it also makes them feel superior to WB. Oh, well, we get to back this, you know, this auteur director. But it's why I think we've had so much trouble. And I will say I in specific, I mean, we as in this show and me specifically, I've had trouble having actual conversations about what Snyder's movies are actually about because I don't think people actually look into them. I think they just look into these DC movies and find what they want to find and they stop there. And the response to this deal has really shown me that. Yeah, I think the I, I think you're right to point that out. I don't know if people will like that you're pointing that out. No, they're going to hate it. I've already lost about 20 followers on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. I, I think... But, I mean, is, is that your experience with, like... I mean, you're more of an outsider, right? I mean, I think yeah. you supported Release the Snyder Cut. But I was, like, in, in, in it, right? And I was one of the people who's been around since before Justice League and everything, right? I mean talking about i've been writing about Zack snyder movies since i was in grad school in 2010 right this is well before man of steel all of these things you're more of an outsider is that how you've observed the fandom as more of a dc based fandom than a Zack snyder based fandom yeah and i don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing what i mean by that is i think it's fine if you're a dc fan and you want to see these characters well represented and therefore you start supporting the director who's doing that very well. I don't see that as a problem. Uh, I don't see that as a problem, no. Yeah, I don't see that as a problem. I think, though, maybe uh, maybe clinging on to it a little too much at the end here is a problem. I would love to see uh, more of the... I, I would In an alternate universe, I would have loved to see the alternate universe that is uh, the Snyderverse. 100%. I don't think it's, it's possible. It's not possible in the studio system. And correct. if anything, the Snyder Cut proves that. Because we've correct. seen what it, what can be done outside of the studio system. And, and so that kind of story can't be told with this property. Yes. But there's good news. If you like good stories, if you can abstract away from your DC fandom a little bit and say, well, maybe I won't get to see Snyder's take on you know, Justice League uh, going forward. But I might be able to find some more good stories. And, and I think this, this director will continue to go make good stories. I think what you've just said is what bothers me the most. I'm with you in the alternate reality where, you know, BVS never had the ultimate edition. The actual ultimate edition was released in theaters when uh, Justice League wasn't derailed and the whole Snyder cut thing happened. In that universe where they continued and they let him be the architect, I would have followed that along and I would have loved it. Right? That, that, that looked phenomenal. As the movies are done now, I am happy with the way they are. I can leave after Zack Snyder's Justice League and understand where the story would have gone. I get a sense of the narrative and I'm at peace with it. I get it. But because I love the way he tells stories, I can be excited for the opportunity to do whatever he wants and to be in a system and in a situation working with a company that wants him to do what he wants. They let him do what he wanted with army of the dead. It was successful in some ways and it was unsuccessful in, in the major way I pointed out about the theme being muddied in the movie. That's exciting for me. And it, 
bothers me deep down in my soul, William. It bothers me for two reasons. It bothers me that people will not take off their collectivistic DC sunglasses, their collectivistic DC glasses, their lenses, to be able to say, oh, I like what he did with these stories. I'm not just a DC fan anymore. I want to see what he's going to do. Instead, they're doubling down on Restore the Snyderverse. Oh, this could still happen. I still want to see it. Netflix can make this happen. Uh, I, I hope, you know, I don't like this because it gets rid of the Snyderverse. They're doubling down on that rather than going, I understand the reality of the situation. I wish this could happen. We got this movie and let's see what happens. And that bothers me because one, you're hurting yourselves by saying, oh, I'm going to continue to wallow in this thing that's not possible. I'm putting myself in the mindset of wanting something that's not going to happen. And then two, it bothers me because they're calling themselves something other than they are. They're not really Zack Snyder fans at that point. They're not even really fans of good storytelling. They are only fans of good DC storytelling, which is fine. If that's what you want to be, say that's what you are. I have no problem with saying that's what you are. Because when you continue to portray yourself as Zack Snyder fans, you are making it so the conversations cannot be had about his other work. It's why no real conversation can be have about his work because people will shout things down because they only want things that are going to make the DC films look a certain way. It becomes, oh, well, if you say this thing about this movie, it makes it, it makes the DC films look a certain way. I mean, look at Sucker Punch, for instance. Nobody wants to talk about what Sucker Punch is about. They'll just say, oh yeah, that's another example where they said Zack Snyder was evil where he's not. And then it pivots back to, Oh, well, he's not actually evil in his DC movies. Do you get the point I'm making? Yeah. Yeah, I think I get it. It makes it it very hard to... It makes the community about something that it's not. It it changes the frame of the conversation, and you you have to keep reframing it if if you're going to communicate effectively in that context. Right. And then how are we actually going to appreciate Zack Snyder for what he actually does rather than just his DC movies? And that's personally frustrating for me and my values. And there, But there's other filmmakers like that as well. I don't mean to just say it's him. I mean, another filmmaker who he's treated similarly. Now, he made his own comic book franchise, which is why I think that he doesn't have quite the following and, you know, he doesn't have quite the mainstream reaction. But he does have enough, a negative mainstream reaction is... M. Night Shyamalan. And we'll talk about that in a second. But I want to talk about the movie first before we talk about something that happened in response to it. So he had a new movie come out this week, Old. So Old is the story of a family who goes on vacation to this resort. And the resort lets them go to a secret beach. The resort owner comes to them and says, oh, there's this there's a secret beach I can bring you guys to tomorrow. I'll have my, you know, my my driver bring you out there. And the driver brings them out there. And when they're on the beach, there are other characters there. And they all soon find out that on the beach, they they age, I believe it's every every half an hour is two years, I believe. I don't remember the exact math. But basically, they age very quickly on this beach. You know, to the point that there's a couple of, you know, five and six-year-olds. And at one point, they're old enough that one of them gets pregnant. 
Now, this movie, I don't want to give anything away. I wouldn't say there's a twist. There's a reveal, but I wouldn't say it's a twist because it's not treated as a twist. What it's treated as is trying to limit the focus. William, have you ever seen Signs? Yes. Okay. One of the things I love about Signs, and I would love to hear what you say about this, is I love that it's a typical alien invasion, but it's told from the perspective of one family. And what I mean by that is we are seeing the psychological and social impacts on the one family on the one farm, rather than seeing how, like, Independence Day, it affects the entire globe. I think that's what makes Signs so effective. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I I, I like that we're, we're seeing how it affects each family member. We see how it changes them about what choices that they make based on what they're learning about the situation. It it makes it very interesting and compelling. I think some of the sci-fi elements are a little whack in that movie, but but it makes it, that part, I think, it, it definitely nails. And I think what you just said and what you just described is what makes M. Knight a strong storyteller. If you look at all of his stories, it's not the genre elements that are the best thing ever. Like if you're looking at him as a sci-fi writer, does he compare against the best sci-fi writers? No. But look at him from the Twilight Zone perspective. The Twilight Zone was always how these premises, and you didn't drill down deep in the premises. You didn't drill down deep into them. You accepted the premise and you saw how it affected the characters. When you look at the sixth sense, when you look at signs, when you look at the village, when you look at old, what makes these movies succeed is they are about how these premises affect the people who are involved in them. Is there a broader world to old that is revealed at the end of the movie? Yes. Is it like, oh my God, mind blowing? No. It makes sense. I understand what they're going for and it plays in what he's going for and it plays into the way it affects these people's lives, right? The MacGuffin of this movie is that this beach and they say it's the rocks on the beach make people old. Why does this beach exist? I don't know. It doesn't explain. But the point is it makes them age faster. Now, how, how does making them age faster affect them? Well, it's traumatic, you are having intense life experiences in a short period of time. Imagine the girl goes from being five to six years old, gets pregnant, and has a baby all within a matter of hours. I mean, she's pregnant for like 15 minutes and gives birth. So she hasn't even been able to process puberty and the changes to her body and brain. until Then she's pregnant, and then she gives birth. She isn't able to process giving birth. So ultimately, the movie becomes about understanding that the reason we age the way we do as humans is it gives us the ability to appreciate life. It gives us the ability to process life and live it properly, which then we have to reflect upon external to the movie and say, isn't it tragic that we don't process life the way we could? We don't take advantage of the time we have. Yeah, we're only here for... You know, we'll say 100 years, even though that's over. We'll say 80, okay? We're only here for 80 years, but we still don't take advantage of it. You know, we say time is fleeting, but we still have a lot of time here. We don't take advantage of it. And that's ultimately what the movie's about. Now, I will say one more thing. 
I will say that I will say one more thing thematically that it raises some interesting ideas in the COVID era when we're talking about vaccines and things and the discussion we had earlier. Uh, it's interesting how M night, you know, he did it with the village back in 2004. He's doing it now where you can look at the statement that is made at the end of this movie and apply that to the conversation about COVID and the vaccines and with the theme I just said, and it becomes very, very interesting. So he succeeded in that way. Now, I will be clear that I don't think this is his best movie ever. I don't think this is upper echelon. Is it as bad as something like The Happening? Is it as terrible as his adaptation of The Last Airbender? No. This is not bad, M. Night. But this is also not Sixth Sense, Signs, Split, Glass, The Village. This is not top-tier M. Night. I would give this movie a solid bro, simply because when we're talking about the spectacle side of it, I think this movie offers great catharsis. I think it... You know, it brought tears to my eyes a few times. I think that it makes you address these and experience these traumas with them. You can't avoid it. The way it affects these people is tragic and beautiful when it becomes that point. I don't want to give away when it becomes beautiful, but, but there's a beauty in this movie. But at the same time, some of the dialogue is clunky. Some of the acting is clunky because of the dialogue. Uh, it's, you know... We saw some of that in the village, but that worked because they were speaking in olden times. Uh, the happening, it was sort of Mark Wahlberg's character was more intellectual, so he spoke it that way. Here, one of the characters is an actuary, and then his son speaks similarly to him. But to me, it made the son come off as autistic. I don't know if that was intentional or not. So M. Night, he's always had sort of difficulty in these elements of beauty, which made people react which makes people react negatively to him. But still, this is well worth seeing. It's right on that line between bro and romantic. I would give it a bro simply for the some of the things that came off kind of clunky. But it's definitely worth seeing, and it's it's one that proves that that he is he is a talent. Now, what's interesting to me here, William, is did you see John Barrowman's reaction to this movie? No, I I, I had seen that there was a uh, some tweet storms about it, but I didn't get a chance to dig into it. Tell me what's going on. So John Barrowman, who I, I've enjoyed his performances, right? I especially enjoyed him in Doctor Who. I enjoyed him in Torchwood. I watched all of those series. Uh, he was pretty good in Arrow. You know, I, I would say the, the negatives in Arrow weren't due to his fault, you know, n- no fault of his own. He released a video where he said that he and his partner went to see Old, and it was so bad that after they saw it, they demanded a refund. And then they tweeted this video and tagged M. Night in it. Now, to me, William, this is an example of what you're saying about virtue signaling and group belonging. M. Night has become one of these directors that you can gain points from a certain group by publicly bashing him and publicly acting like he's incredibly stupid. And that's very interesting to me. Have you noticed this trend as well? Yes, as someone who's been highly critical, and I will never forgive him for Avatar, The Last Airbender. Oh, that's um, a terrible, terrible movie. I mean, anyway, yeah. like, I bought that for like five bucks at Walmart and I watched it and I was like, this is not like, don't get me wrong, I didn't like the cartoon because it's too video game for me. Oh, go to a different world and there's a different thing. I was like, okay, whatever, not for me. Not that it's bad, I just didn't like it. But then I watched the movie and I was like, this is terrible. It's just a bad movie. Yeah, very bad movie. Uh, 
I appreciate his artistry. I, I, I see what he's trying to do, and I've really liked some of his movies. I liked, uh, despite its sci-fi troubles, I liked Signs. Uh, I liked The Sixth Sense. Um, and I know you've liked some of the movies as well. I, I Yeah, I think this is a okay one. Uh, this is an okay director to shit on. Um, and sure, I mean, if you want to virtue signal your group belonging, then go ahead. Why do you think it's okay to shit on him, though? I, 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 this is my theory. Based upon what I was saying, and you, you said the word choices, right? When you're talking about signs, you know, what choices do each of the characters make? I think his movies are empowering of the individual because they're focused on the individual's experiences. I think his movies have a, a micro scale. I think that's why some of the elements like in sci-fi you have or in signs you have a problem with the sci-fi elements are more macro elements. You know, the whole idea right. of the water and signs, right? I can excuse that because that's not the scope of the movie. Right. I go, right. OK, well, I get it. Like, you know, if this was War of the Worlds and he says it's an homage to World of Worlds, it's kind of stupid. You know, if this was a grand epic, you know, if it was the Tomorrow War, I would have a problem with that. But it's not. It's it's about yeah. Yeah. that one family. So I excuse it. Uh, but other people, I think. The reason that it's cool to dump on him is because I think his movies are empowering of the individual where it's saying, well, what is your experience in here? What does this say about your life? How do these things affect you? And that ultimately he's about family. He's pro-family. He even tweeted out recently, like all his movies that release number one aren't a big deal to him. But those movies releasing number one, while he says to his family how important they are and that he does it all, you know, to help them and to make their lives better. He's pro-family and he's pro, you know, how do each of these things affect you individually? And I think those things make him a threat to certain people. And those are the people who find it good to virtue signal against him. Hmm. Do you think he, it, it, it might be because he's not telling social justice movies. I think it's because he takes things that could be social justice. And I don't want to spoil this movie, but if you look at the end of this movie, especially with what we talked about with how it used to be the left who was anti-vaccines, the far left, you yeah. could see see this going from a social justice perspective. You know, same yeah. thing with something like The Village, something like Signs, right? It could Those movies could have been done from a social justice perspective. Even, I think, The Happening. I think one of the reasons The Happening doesn't succeed is because it's an environmental movie, right? And in a way, it's mocking environmentalism, although the idea of the air killing you kind of resonates differently in 2021. Yeah. Uh, but I think... He's not doing a left-wing environmentalist piece, and I think he's making fun of them, and it, it doesn't succeed, right? It doesn't fail in the way The Last Airbender does. So, yeah, I do think it's they want him, especially as an Indian, right? I mean, an Indian, he's from India, right? He was born in India. He's not American. He immigrated here. And I think they want him to not have the perspective he has. I think he he is very appreciative of the freedoms America offers. And, you know, he might not be a right-wing filmmaker. I'm certainly not claiming he's that. I have no idea if he's right or left. I don't know what his beliefs are. But I yeah. would say he's certainly an individualistic theme maker, a filmmaker. And his themes yeah. are focused on the individual and the individual's experiences and choices. And I think that's what people react to. I think he's one of the, the filmmakers who most focuses on the choices of the individual's. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. All right, so let's move on now. Let's talk about, you know, after we've talked about movies that 
have come out. Let's talk about some movies that will come out. I like to post the trailers for Trailer Takedown in the Discord on Saturdays. So if you go in there, you can watch the trailers before we talk about them. You can watch them after we talk about them. Or you can alternate them for Trailer Takedown. You can pause the episode, watch a trailer. Pause the episode, watch a trailer. Trailer Takedown. First trailer. Nine Perfect Strangers is a Hulu limited series starring Nicole Kidman, Michael Shannon, Melissa McCarthy, and others. In it, Nicole Kidman is a, I think, a psychological health guru. It's not really sure. She's like, it's not really clear. She's like a well, uh, a wellness guru, and she invites nine people to her resort. But there seems to be something, some other sort of conspiracy going on. That looked interesting to me. I liked the premise. I liked that there seemed to be some sort of other conspiracy going on. But it wasn't clear if the, it was just that this was actually harmful to these people or not. To me, this this premise, and maybe it's just because I like sci-fi and I like fantasy, this premise needed more to it. Like, if there was a sci-fi element to this premise, I would have been all in because the cast is great. It's crazy to see Michael Shannon playing the type of character he's playing when he once was Zod and seeing the other roles he's, roles he's played. So this has a lot going for it, and I can see why people would like it. It's well shot. The acting looks great. I mean, Melissa McCarthy... I think this is the best I've ever seen her act in this trailer. So wow. there's a lot here that people could like. But for me, it needs more. It needs like a sci-fi element to it for me. Tackle. Tackle. Yeah, this preview was super boring. I I, I tried to pay attention as best I could, but it's... Maybe, maybe there is something more in this, and maybe there's going to be a different preview. But uh, I don't know. It, it, this Justin, did you get the feeling like this could have been a reality show, right? Like I, I, I don't know. I was getting some taste of like, uh, of of well, this this was a reality show premise, but we decided to make a movie instead. I don't know. I'm gonna tackle. Tackle. Well, the thing about the reality show, yeah, maybe it doesn't have to be a sci-fi premise, but maybe that's the premise: is these people are hoodwinked into being in a reality show, and it that slowly made it more unravels. Yeah. Maybe that is the point, but it, it, uh, to me, the to me, William, the fact that you even said that, it, it, the trailer is like it's like calling out for more. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. Second trailer. The Last Duel is Ridley Scott's latest movie. It stars Ben Affleck and Matt Damon. In it, a medieval damsel princess queen it's unclear what exactly her role is in the society has her honor besmirched and there is a duel to the death over her honor between her husband and her supposed lover watching this trailer william this seems to me to be a few years too late it seemed like ridley scott trying to do game of thrones uh you used boring to describe the last trailer again well acted. Production value is great. Directing looks fine. But this story just doesn't look like it's anything original, especially in a post-Game of Thrones world. There's nothing that hooks me in this that makes me go, yes, I want to see this. Tackle. Tackle? Uh, yeah. Basically copy and paste what I, I last said. I mean, hey, there's there's action. It's... You know, fantasy elements looks cool. 
like as far as the visuals go. But uh, another, uh, if the movie or sorry, the show is good, then another poorly cut trailer. Maybe there's some. Maybe this is something I would watch just to kind of take in the visuals with this director. But I guess I'll. I, I feel like I'm fence sitting, but maybe this is something I'd put on uh, while I was uh, doing something else. So I think this just barely gets a Netflix and hug. Netflix and hug. Third trailer. Heels is a drama about a independent professional wrestling promotion in the Deep South, starring Stephen Amell. I believe Stephen Amell is also a producer on this, and I think that this show. Looks phenomenal. Stephen Amell is known for Arrow, but he also has been involved with professional wrestling since he uh, became friends with Cody Runnels, also known as Cody Rhodes, the son of Dusty Rhodes. Cody Rhodes is, of course, in All Elite Wrestling right now, which is the, the number two promotion in America. They had a pay-per-view back in the day before they were a promotion. They, it was the largest independently produced pay, res, pro wrestling pay-per-view ever in America. And Stephen Amell had a match on it. And now Stephen Amell is telling the story of a small independent promotion in the deep South that he runs with his brother. And it's how it affects them and their search for greatness. And they even said telling the stories that people go through giving them something to reflect on and reflect their lives. Uh, this is well shot. I know there's passion behind this project. Uh, I liked Glow for the first season and a half. And this looks like it could be similar to Glow from a masculine perspective. So I am in. Hug. Hug. Yeah, I like this. This is, uh, you know, we, we've had a glut of... Uh, of demasculating stories and stories uh not 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 a lot of stories talking about um what we would consider more male themes and this certainly looks like it's going to explore those themes uh don't get me started on uh the new he-man uh so that all that aside like so hey this is this looks interesting and original in that way um uh i agree with you i think that I think that this this seems like it's going to be well acted. Seems like it's going to have a lot of. Uh, it it doesn't look like it has a high production value, but it ha looks like people put a lot of work into it. Does that make any sense? Um, well, yeah, so, production value has to do somewhat with the money. So yeah, maybe they're not the best at optimizing money. I mean, one of the things you can say about Zack Snyder is he's great with optimizes money and M night as well. I mean, M night will cast himself in minor roles to not have to pay anyone else and put that allocate that budget elsewhere. So maybe yeah. they're not best with budgeting, but they are best with care. They, yeah. they cared when they made this. Exactly. So I'm going to, I'm going to give this uh, some consideration. So I'm going to give it a hug. Hug. Final trailer. Dune is the adaptation of Frank Herbert's novel by Dennis Villeneuve. Villeneuve. How do I say his name, William? I don't fucking know. Yeah, I don't know how to say his name. You know, he's known for directing things such as Blade 2049. Uh, this trailer, William, and I'm really interested to hear your reaction to it, 
was like two trailers to me. So the first half of the trailer was like, here's this kid who has a vision of another world that they have to go and save. And the world is being conquered by the evil empire. And, you know, the kids being trained by Jason Momoa and the guy in charge of the evil empire is Oscar Isaacs. And I'm like, man, I see why this inspired Star Wars. And I see how this is like a better version of the new Star Wars. Right? This is Star Wars done better than the new Star Wars. And for the first half of this trailer, I was like, yeah, I'm in. I like what's being done aesthetically. Like Zendaya's really blue eyes amid all the, the dust and everything looks phenomenal. Like this looks like it could be really good. Now it's still, this director tends to be very slow. And I was still concerned that things were going to be very slow with his pacing. You know, Arrival was very slow. Blade Runner 2049 was very slow. So there's still those concerns. But with the first half of the trailer, I was in. I was like, this is great. Now, the second half of the trailer, I was like, this trailer is going on way too fucking long. At this point, I'm confused. Wait, Oscar Isaacs is in charge of the Empire, but his son is the Luke Skywalker character? Is that what's going on? So now it seems like Star Wars is just ripping off that. I don't know. I had no idea what was going on at the end. Uh, It doesn't dissuade me from seeing it because the first half of the trailer was great. But if you cut this trailer in half, you could have two different trailers and you could have just left the first one. So based on the first half, I'm in. Uh, I'll probably see this movie. I don't know. It comes out at a time that's kind of tough for me in my life because of everything that I have going on. So I may not be able to make it to the theater. But a lot of the conversation around this movie has been by the people who have read the book and it's the super insane fandom. But I think the first half of this trailer especially shows this could break through to the mainstream. It really could. So I will give this a hug. Hug. Yeah, I've been following the development of this for a while now. Uh, there's a lot of interest in this among fans of uh, of this series, and I'm definitely one of, uh, a fan of the Dune series, especially the early books. Um, I think it's done really well. There, are a couple little concerns here and there, um, but it seems like it's well acted. The visuals are done well. Uh, and uh, I, I like your assessment of the second half. I think because I know the story, I know what beats they're hitting. So I would kind of err in the in a charitable interpretation of the second half as uh, as assurances for the fans that certain story beats are not going to be modified, let's say, in the way the 80s movie was. I think that's what's what that second half was intended for. So I can understand that being confusing for folks who don't know the story, but I think it, it, that's probably why that was there. Uh, yeah, I, I'm going to try and see this in the theater. Uh, so I will come out and say, I'm going to hug it. Hug. All right, William, that brings us to the end of our trip. What did we learn this week? Oh man. Well, uh, I learned that this whole othering thing is uh, very fundamental to the way folks are trying to shape us and and conform us to certain uh, narratives. Justin, what did you learn this trip? Based upon what you were just saying about the Dune trailer and what we've said in previous weeks about trailers being too long, we need to stop worrying about making trailers say entire stories and making trailers 
for a certain segment of fans. And we need just to make trailers to optimize saying you should see this movie. This is the feel of this movie. This is the basic conflict of this movie. This is the basic approach to this movie and have it be that. Simplify, simplify, simplify our movie trailers, simplify our marketing. Tell us what it is that would make this movie appealing. And then we can decide there. We don't need to see the entire movie. We don't need to be assured that it's going to fit a certain mold. We just need to know what you produced, how we, sh- how we should view, not how. We, should, we just need to see what is appealing. Appealing is the word I'm looking for. What is appealing about what you did produce? That's all we need. As always, I'd like to thank you all for listening. Without you, this would just be me sitting in a closet talking into a microphone, so you make me feel just a little bit less crazy. A little bit less crazy. If you want to support the show, you can do so by going to the midside.com slash store, picking up one of those t-shirts. You can buy my book at the midside.com slash the cut. That is a novel. You can go to Patreon or Locals. That's Patreon is per episode locals is per month that's the midside.com slash patreon or the midside.com slash locals and the most important thing you can do to promote the show and help it grow is tell a friend so we appreciate any and all of those things that you are willing to do this concludes your journey into the midside i'm justin emelzneski reminding you that if things get tough take a step back and witness the farce have a narrative free day At least he waited till the end of the show to start barking. He parked at some opportune times, like he was agreeing with what we were saying. Did you notice yeah, that? Yeah. <laughs>